0: Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Bard Doros. Bard is a partner at Anonymous Content, as well as a manager and producer. Some of the projects he's worked on include True Detective, Counterpart, Spotlight, and many more. He's currently producing Midnight Sky at Netflix. He's also producing Worth and also the upcoming Last of the Mohicans TV series for HBO Max. Bard, that is a very impressive bio there. We're very excited to have you on the show today. How's it going?
1: Excited to be here. It's going well. Thanks for having me.
0: My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? Based on your resume, I'm going to guess somewhere in Southern California.
1: Yep, in San Diego at the moment where I'm originally from, but heading back to LA today. So we were just down here for a week or so and back to LA this afternoon.
0: As far as, you know, location while we're on that subject, obviously quarantine happening right now. How has that affected you? How has that affected the industry?
1: Yeah, frankly, a great place to start because while I know a answer, I don't know the answer, right? So... Whenever quarantine started, I guess back in March or so, we shut down the offices and everybody was work from home like pretty much everywhere else. And the, you know, I think the interesting thing has been, especially as a literary manager and producer, that a lot of what I do can be done remotely. You know, you've got different aspects of the industry where I think a lot of writers I've spoken to are just not, I wouldn't say they're perfectly happy, but can really accomplish a lot of what they we're doing ahead of time from home. And, you know, there's the change in sort of writer's rooms being online and things like that. As a manager and producer, I've found that a lot of meetings and in-person things that we were having were just quickly switched to remote, which was actually in the beginning, super efficient and started to really, and very productive. I think as time has gone on, it's sort of proven that you can be anywhere. I think some people have found that it's, you know, Become a little less efficient. Things, you know, there's still things you really want to be in person for, but overall it's been pretty manageable. What I have seen is people take advantage, rightly, of the ability to be anywhere. And from writers, directors, and agents and managers, I think taking the opportunity to be places that they want to be where they can do other things just because everything they're doing for work is over the phone or over a video chat. So that's been interesting and ongoing and evolving at the moment. So.
0: Tell us about your origin story. So you are a manager and a producer now. You've been doing that for a little while. But did you always want to do that? Did you have aspirations to work in the film and TV industry when you were
1: younger? You know, no, not always. And it was a bit of a circuitous route. Although, happily, I'm glad I took that time and kind of landed on something that I felt like was a really good use of a lot of things that I like to do and skill sets I had. So I. After college, I was in San Diego briefly, but I did kind of discover that I liked the film and television industry in college. I did some internships during my summers, and when school finished, I was back and kind of grabbed a Hollywood creative directory, which is this thing probably no one knows about anymore, but it was a hard copy book that pretty much listed out all the production companies or many of the production companies. And their executives and their phone numbers and some of the credits that they had. And I sent out a number of letters and resumes to all the ones that I thought had made movies that I really liked. And oddly, I got a call from a small, very small production company that had made a movie I really liked called Where the Day Takes You, which was Mark Rocco's first movie. And through a series of meetings, ended up sort of skipping a bunch of layers and became a story editor at this very small company. But I found really quickly that a lot of the films that they were doing were not necessarily my cup of tea and were kind of largely aiming for straight-to-DVD kind of titles. And so the woman who had the job before me had left to become a writer, and I found myself pestering her occasionally, but also really interested in that. And so I, you know, in my spare time did a little bit of writing and applied to film school and and ended up going to USC in their graduate screenwriting program. So that was interesting. I went to the screenwriting program, really fell in love with that, but also at the same time was missing the business of it. And so after the second year of that, when I was doing my thesis, I applied to law school thinking that I wanted to do entertainment law and got into UCLA and I attended law school at UCLA. And finally, really, you know, the way I got to management was that second year of law school, I knew I didn't want to accept the job offer that I had, even though it was, you know, I really enjoyed it. I was feeling that that was then too sort of tangential from the creative side. And so I had a friend who was a casting director who introduced me to all sorts of informational meetings, everyone from agents to producers to actors to you kind of name it. And the last one happened to be, they thought I'd really get along with this manager, who I I really did. And he said, "Why don't you come intern for me during your last year of law school?" Which I did, and found that it was this incredible blend of you know incredible clients that he had, but you were giving notes on the material, you were strategizing about how to take the material out, you were strategizing about the long term you know career path, you were able to be on the deals, and it really I really found that it satisfied both the creative side of me and the, and the more business side in a way that a lot of other stuff didn't. And so long and short of it, and there's plenty, I had to do a few things afterwards to get the job that I have now, but that's how I landed on management as something that I wanted to do.
0: So now you're a manager and a producer. I would love to talk literary management, being a producer 101 from a high level. Can you walk us through the differences between partner literary manager, producer, and even the differences between those things and let's say a talent manager or an agent?
1: Well, I'll take them in reverse. The difference between an agent and a manager is one that everyone asks. And actually, you know, before I was even doing them, I think I wrote a paper on it. And the reality is that every agent is different. Every manager is different. What they do is different. I would say the broad strokes being that agents tend to have more clients than managers. They tend to focus more on deals and negotiations and that type of a process. And a manager, in theory, is a little bit more focused on the creative, whether that be notes, whether that be helping to find the job, whether that be taking an idea and really fleshing it out with the client. But he's also, again, in theory, very focused on long-term strategies and how to achieve for the client, their goals, you know, if they say that they want to be, if they're a writer, and they want to be directing, or if they're doing dramas, and they want to be doing tentpole movies, I think the manager is very much focused on sort of that long term arc, and how to build someone into what they hope to be. That's in theory, I think what the agent and manager thing is, They work really well hand in hand. Most of my clients have agents, and I would suspect most of the agents' clients have managers, and it becomes a team that kind of a little bit of yin and yang. I think as to the different roles of partner, producer, manager. Partner is just that one. I, I don't really know the answer. I think that I guide certain aspects of the literary group at Anonymous, and I'm involved in many of the company's bigger picture decisions and things that you would expect from from that role. But at the end of the day. What I really spend a lot of my time doing is, as you asked, like between manager and producer, as manager, I'm searching out talented voices and finding writers and directors and sometimes actors, if I'm the literary component, whose work I really believe in and trying to be the champion of that voice. Sometimes it's from a really, really nascent stage where no one has really read them before or seen their material before. And, and the discovery is sort of not only the fun, but I think the challenge of that part of the job. Producing is exactly what you think, you know, really taking an idea or a book or, you know, oftentimes a spec screenplay and making it happen, I think, right, all the way from Securing the financing, making sure the script's in the right place to get the financing, attaching the actors who will attract that financing, being on set as much as humanly possible. And I think when you're a manager producer, striking that balance is both the fun and the challenge of both of those things. So those are the sort of differences between the two. I do think that there's a real power in being able to do both. I think as a producer, I've learned a ton that helps my clients and vice versa. As a manager, I have a lot of understanding of what they're looking for and what they need so that I can oftentimes be, if not the best producer for them, potentially a really good producer for individual pieces of material.
0: I would love to break down those two sides, managing and producing, and get a bit more granular Would it be cool if we kind of split those in half and kind of focus on each? Absolutely. First off, for the audience's perspective, so we can set almost a line between the two, at what point does management and production or producing begin? Is it once you have that script or idea you're developing and then you start to put it into effect? Or would you say producing starts more when production is starting to actually happen?
1: The former. I think producing starts so early. You know, sometimes... Okay, as an example... And I'll try to keep it, you know, as small as possible. But as an example, when I started managing and producing, I had a client. And this might be a good example of how to explain the difference it is. So he hadn't been on any movies or television shows yet, but had some great samples. I really believed in him, still believe in him. I think he was coming out of the advertising world. And we found he got himself to a very small group of candidates for the Stephen Colbert show, which was a, obviously a, would be a great show for him to to be staffed on, and so I found myself trying with him to figure out ways that we could separate him from those other people. Whether it was ten to fifteen people, you know, partly he was supposed to fly to New York, he didn't have the money to do so, or it would have been a challenge. And so what we did is strategize, and we ended up making a video, and I did my best to get like some celebrity personalities, whatever we could to make this thing, something that would keep people's attention. I don't think we actually got a celebrity in it at the time, but he made this great video. And we sort of hacked out and figured out what the different emails would be for the company, including Colbert himself. And we put it up on YouTube, I think, or whatever it was at the time and, and sent the email off to them. And as I remember it, you know, they called back very shortly after that and kind of took most of the rest of the meetings off the books and gave him the job. And so, and that launched his career, but it was a really unusual way of trying to get him that job. And that was, I felt, you know, a good example of the time of management. Meanwhile, he gets on the show, and I think he'd been on it for a year or so. And I had an idea for a film that struck me at night, and I knew I could sell it. So I. Kept telling him, just write this thing, you know, here's basically what it is. And to his credit, he wrote it at night while he was on the show. We developed it. We went through a number of rounds of script notes and polishing and putting the right producing team with us on it. And we're able to get it on the blacklist and sell it and, and turn it into a movie. And so, you know, that producing started before there was anything. That started with an idea knowing he was the right guy to do it, and knowing that it would, that again, it would be, I kind of hate the term synergistic, but I like that in this particular instance. So they go together, you know, very hand in hand. And the producing component can start that early with the idea, but it can also come in later. You know, sometimes, many times, the client has an idea, has a book, has something that they want us to produce with them and then it starts at that point and we kind of really we can either option it or you know help to find the right director so that when they're writing the script they know that they're already you know one step ahead of having the right creative team involved it can start anywhere along the way i will say that i personally think that there are many aspects to producing you know the development stage Finding the financing, the onset stage, the post stage, all these different things. And from my perspective, they're all critically important. And so some people are better at one part of those things. And I think they're equally valuable personally.
0: Great example. And I think that kind of sets the tone for getting into management versus producing. On the management side, you mentioned the client you referenced. Tell us about how you find your clients. Do your clients find you? Do they reach out? You know, do they find creative ways to get you to manage them the same way that you, you know, got your client on the show? Or do you tend to go out and find your clients yourself?
1: Occasionally. Yeah, I know. It's a good question. I can't think of that many creative ways, although I will say, you know, occasionally, you will see a short film that someone did using incredible cg skills that they might have or things like that that i think are really how do i put it like i think sometimes they've taken the ball and run with it and done everything they can do and then it's on us to sort of to go further with it but i'd say that the simple answer for me is it comes from all over the place i will say i think that a lot of it is through relationships a lot of it is through recommendations. When you're just starting off as a manager, many times you're hunting through piles and piles of scripts and through contests and all sorts of ways. And I think that's still really fun, actually. And I love finding something that came from a really unusual place. But as I've gone on, I've, I think the reality is that I've developed people whose taste I trust Sometimes that's an assistant who works for me or an intern who works for me, or it's an executive at a production company. And they oftentimes will spot something out of a university or a friend or whatever it is. And that stuff rises to the top of the stack usually because I know that it's been pre vetted and it's coming from somebody whose taste I trust. So I think that's one way that I find clients. Another is when you share clients with agents or producers, you also, again, tend to find that you have that you're like-minded and you like the same types of things. And so oftentimes now there's referrals from agents and it goes the other way around. But I'd say for me, I will say sometimes I just spot something. I'll say many of the clients that I've had for, for many years was just something I read somewhere. Maybe it was a book and didn't know that the person was a screenwriter or something like that. The one long, you know, long-term client who I've had forever, I had an intern at the time who kept giving me material to read. I was an assistant, actually, before I was a manager. And he kept giving me things to read. And he kept knowing that that was his entry point, I think. Like, if he could find something that I liked, then it would be good for him. And he kept giving me things and things. And after a while, I said, you know, you keep giving me these things. And I have a busy weekends reading as much as I can, trying to find stuff I love. But none of them have been Right and, and I'm not going to stop reading them. You know, you got to take my time more seriously than that. And to his credit, this guy said, listen, I'm going to give you one more script. And not only are you going to like it, but this is going to be your guy. You're going to love this thing. You know, so he had that kind of confidence and I took it home and I read it that you know, I was halfway through it I caught him on the phone and was like, I love this. And it turned into someone who's a friend and a client and, you know, very, very successful. And it came from that, that recommendation from that intern who was really combing through stuff. So that's how I tend to find stuff, I think. Also, recommendations from clients. A lot of times, clients get to know you, and they know what you will like, and they'll have someone that they believe in, which is also really nice. So that's how I find them.
0: While we're on the subject, for those writers who are listening, obviously, this is a writing podcast. For those seeking management, representation, thinking, okay, you know... I'm a writer. I'm hoping to get a manager at some point. What would you say to those listening? Because obviously, your answer to my last question was referrals and basically people. You know, you know. What about those who maybe don't have connections or trying to get their foot in the door?
1: Listen, I think it's the answer is the same. I think that interestingly, you only get one chance at your first read. People say, and I don't think that's entirely true. You know, I mean, you can you can go back, and people like to see improvement. But the bottom line is, you know, the first read is important. I think people once they get their material to the place that it's really polished and they're really proud of it need to get it read by as many people as they possibly can. And that means assistants, that means interns, that means contests, that means, you know, because they're all they're all connected in one way or another. And so, while I may be referring to Some of these referrals are coming from agents and people that I understand are already behind closed doors, but many times they're not. Many times it's coming to me from a friend that I, you know, his kid goes to school with my kid and he happens to be not in the industry, but we have similar taste or something like that. Or, and again, you know, interns and assistants and people like that are eager to read, I think, and are, you know, chomping at the to help somebody with that foot in the door So what I would suggest, I suspect, is, I mean, contests are great. The blacklist that Franklin Leonard created is great. What I would suggest is make sure the material is, you know, as good as possible. Have gone through writing teams, have gone through, you know, as many people as you can to get it polished, and then really take any opportunity you can to have someone who is marginally connected read that and use their connections to get it in front of Someone else. There was an agent who once told me, like, if you throw a great screenplay out of your car window on the freeway in Los Angeles, somebody will find it. You know, like cream rises to the top. And as we know, it's tricky to get. Reading a script is subjective, so you, you may be great, and five people may not recognize that. But if you have enough people read it, and it is great, you know, you will find your your entry point. I think.
0: So you mentioned finding your clients. Moving into the producing phase, as far as the ideas that you want to start developing, getting to the right place, getting out there and produced, tell us about the inception of ideas. You mentioned earlier, you had an idea, you brought it to your client. Where do most ideas come from? Is it the other way around? Is it your client saying, hey, I've got this idea. Should I you know, write this on spec? Tell us about that early phase of locking in the ideas you want to move forward with.
1: Sure. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, actually. so It's a great question. My suspicion is that it's different depending upon who you are as a producer or a manager. Right now, intellectual property is all the rage, right? Everybody wants books, everybody wants articles, Reddit stories, you name it, as long as there's intellectual property, it's a good starting place. And so, you know, the truth is right now, let's call it 80, you know, 75, 80% of sales or things that are into production i'm just making up a number but it does feel like a lot of that stuff is coming from intellectual property comic books books anything like that when you're talking about an original idea which is something that i have a real affinity for or just really like when things start from original ideas i'd say can come from a few places that idea that i was talking about came from from just a moment you know when i was in a new house basically and i tend to have a lot of Ideas like that, that I will try to find the right client who identifies with it or thinks it's something that they want to spend time on. I think I have at least two or three other original ideas like that that I'm working on with clients at the moment. Other times, and this is what I really love too, is those spec scripts when a client has really had their own client or someone who wants to be a client has had their own idea that they just can't an itch they can't scratch and they put it into like a a great pilot or a great or a great feature screenplay i love 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 to find spec scripts like that they are needles in the haystack a client just gave me one this weekend that that i'm super passionate about and so that's an incredible way to find something then other times i will say to your question the client has an idea and that's if it's perfect for us or me as a producer, great and they want that. Otherwise, I find the right producer for them and those things, you know, are, are at the discretion of the client. Oftentimes, I will ask clients to put 5 or 6 or 7 of their ideas into a piece of paper or an email and we go back and forth on those ideas because I have the benefit of knowing what's out there, what's in development. I have the benefit of knowing what's been pitched many times. You know, I'm also I'm a clean set of eyes. They've been living with these ideas for a while and now I'm the brand new set of eyes looking at them from a different perspective. So that's one way I love to do that. The bat back and forth ideas. It can be weeks or months until you land on the right one. But it's critical that you, you know, don't start down the wrong path. It's a shame to waste a lot of time on something that probably wasn't the right idea to start with. So, you know, just, I mean, I could go on about the subject forever. I'll sort of wrap it up, but I would say like, I am constantly reading not just books, but articles and the news. And I've just trained myself to have an eye that's looking for, is this a movie? Is this a television show? I almost can't read it without that lens on at this point, probably I should, but that's where these ideas come from. And around our company, we have, you know, incredible resources and the guys who take care of the intellectual property. And so they're constantly throwing through long form articles, books, or just ideas that they had, you know, that are just originals and just to bring it full circle. While they're tougher, I would argue that some of my favorite stuff that I've worked on or movies that I love were original ideas. So that's sort of where it comes from for me.
0: We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of The Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience again that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook what's your favorite film of all time it might be a sophisticated classic a childhood favorite or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again the pick of the flicks podcast hosted by me tom beasley is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's A Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre, and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. And when you lock in an idea and you're ready to kind of move forward, do you work with a writer to start writing it on spec usually, or do you just go right into you know, developing a pitch, try to pitch it to write after the fact? Walk us through kind of how yeah. often each of those happens.
1: It largely depends. It's a good question. It largely depends on who the client is. And fortunately or or unfortunately, it depends on their status at that moment. So a pitch, if you haven't sold a few features, or if you haven't sold a few television shows, a pitch is going to be a really hard thing to sell. And so if it's somebody who's sort of brand new, then what we tend to do is go through an outlining stage and and I'll try to note that outlining stage as much as possible and then get the first draft out and, you know, just very much like a typical development process, like you might suspect. And that's a really fun thing to do, because once you get that spec draft of something, you have something concrete that you can go sell and that you're, you know, and that you all agree is the thing that they should be out there in the marketplace with. You can put it together with actors, you can put it together with directors, hopefully, right? You never know what you're going to get. But But that's one process. you know. If you're established, if I'm working with somebody at that juncture who's had a few shows on the air or who, let's say, they're a show running somebody else's show at that particular moment, then oftentimes we will take it out as a pitch. It's just a question of sort of the best strategic use of their time. The likelihood is higher that they'll be able to sell it as a pitch. We still oftentimes take the chance, take the opportunity to package it. And try to put actors or directors or another producer who's of value into the project before taking it out as a pitch. Many clients nowadays might have a deal somewhere, or maybe the producer they're working with has a deal somewhere. And so that's an entirely different process and and sort of, you know, may limit the may limit or even focus exactly where you're pitching and how. Because if you're under a deal, you gotta go to that person first, obviously. So that's the process. I think clients are very different on how intensively they seek out notes and development, right? And part of the fun for me is in really getting granular and trying to develop the pitch or the script itself rather than just sort of moving pieces around a board. But it's all valuable. And that's how it works.
0: Walk us through, you mentioned the outline, the first draft, kind of that development phase. As you work with a writer, can you walk us through the basics of that? And also, are there things that writers can do to make your life easier, to have a better, more seamless relationship with you as they're working with you to develop it?
1: Sure. You know, it's a personal thing for everybody. And so whatever works best for them, I try to adapt to that. But the process is we tend to start with, let's say, I mean, obviously, it's different if you have a comic book or something material that you're, or a book that you're working on. But let's say it's an original idea. Tend to start with just sort of the something a little longer than a log line, so more than one sentence or two. You know, you've probably got a paragraph of what the idea is. And then we want to go from that usually to some kind of a treatment, I guess I'd say, instead of an outline. Some people skip these. Things. Everybody has different ways of working, but in a perfect world, I'd probably get a treatment from the writer. I've seen versions of a treatment that are. Two pages, sometimes it's four pages, sometimes it's ten pages, and obviously that depends on whether you're talking about a half hour show an hour show, a movie, but that four or five let's call it four or five page treatment is really tends to be it can be characters, it can be a synopsis it can be both, but it's it's the first attempt at fleshing out the show or the movie that the person wants to do or that we collectively want to tell. I think that what you asked is a good question you know I, I don't have formulas, but I will say something that really helps is clarity in those documents. And some people are particularly good at really boiling down their characters to exactly who they want them to be, you know, making sure that we have a really good understanding of what the first act, second act, and third act of that movie is, let's say. I would say... I don't know if this is something that helps me, but I think it's something that helps many writers knowing what they're driving towards. Some writers don't know the ending. I think most of the ones that I work with, I would guess say that they know the ending of where they're going largely from the beginning so that they can aim for it. And I would also say that the thing that makes life easy is when... Writers certainly shouldn't take bad notes and they certainly should have a really strong opinion of what they want things to be, but it's a collaborative process. And I find that the more they listen, the more they think about my notes, whether they're good or bad, the better the uh, end result will be. doesn't mean that my thoughts were right, but I think just the process of going through it is usually super valuable. And that's just getting to a treatment, right? Then, you know, then from there, it depends on who the person is some people outline, some people don't. I don't know that there's a right answer there because I think there's people that I know that are better when they don't outline. And then there's people who are terrible when they don't outline. And they need to know exactly, you know, where what they're writing. And so that's a personal preference kind of thing, but I think I've adapted to be able to help in, in either either fashion.
0: And then obviously there's the script itself. How many drafts do you usually go through? How long do you find? Is it an average? I assume it varies.
1: Yeah, it's all over the map. There are some people that have been doing it so long that they don't really want to go through drafts, right? They really, you know, this is what they're turning into the studio. But I would say on average, I've probably done two or two or three passes with someone, hopefully before it's ready to go out, I think. It depends on how much that thing needs. But that's, yeah, I guess it's, it's individual. But I'd say like somewhere between two or three passes, typically sometimes you get it there. And sometimes you find in that process, sometimes the writer will come around and tell you like, is this just isn't working? This isn't the movie that I wanted to write, actually, right? So you do get stuck in those things, too. But the key, I guess what I would say is that you have to be on the same page, and they have to be feeling like what you're giving them is productive. A lot of times, I don't know if this depends on who you are. But a lot of times I find my, you know, people write scripts long and you've got to get them down to the appropriate length or you're going to lose people, you know. And there are all sorts of little things that are going to change the subjective response that you get from your readers. And you really, when you go out with the script, you kind of get one shot at it. I do believe that things have changed a little bit. And I've seen television shows that were passed on maybe you know, six months or a year come around later, and maybe they get made, which I think is unusual compared to how it was in the past. But in general, you really get one, one shot. And so I'd rather have it be as perfect as it can be before we take it out and have other people's eyes on it. As far as once it's
0: ready to take it out and get those eyes on it, at that point, Are you thinking about attaching talent and financing, that kind of stuff to it? Or is that a separate stage that's unrelated to the pitch phase?
1: You mean before the script's written or after the script's written? After the script's written
0: and as you're trying to pitch it and get someone interested.
1: Yeah. We're almost always trying to attach talent at this point, I would say. You know, there. from my perspective, I realize it's limited, but from my perspective, there are sort of trends and ebbs and flows in any in the industry. And, you know, one of those that's been around for a while, which seems to be holding true is that talent can really drive the sale and can drive the size of the sale and sort of the speed with which something comes to fruition. So simple answer may sound simple. But yeah, as soon as we have something that we love, then realistically, we tend to start with a director. And we aim for the best creative fit, and also someone who is a you know hopefully moves the needle for the distributors that we're going to be aiming for. We tend to start there. Hopefully, you get someone quick, and you, you know, but many times it takes a long time to to find the right director, and then we try to add in actors beforehand too. And so sometimes, like let's say you. Have your, your script, and you have your director, and you have an actor, or even sometimes more than one actor. Well, by the time you go out to the marketplace, you're coming from a really, really strong, powerful position. Hopefully, you've put the right people in. Hopefully, you've put together a, a package that, is, that people really want, and maybe even creates a bidding war, which would give you the ability to kind of try to move something in a sort of progress-to-production kind of kind of way. But you never really know. One thing, you know, I'm at Anonymous because many years ago, Steve Golan, who passed away about a year and a half ago now, he was the founder. And one of the reasons or the reason I wanted to be at the company. And I would, when I got to the company, I would see this sort of list of movies that he was trying to get made. And I was sort of just I was new to it, I didn't really know how it worked. And those things, you know, he would kind of talk about them occasionally at these meetings we had, but slowly but surely over you know the course of a few years, almost everything came off of that list. It was either made, generally speaking, it was made, he figured out a way to get it made. And it was a lesson for me in that, you know, you have to find the right person. He would be having lunch with Gore Verbinski or whoever the right, and and he would connect the dots in a way that made the package greater than the sum of its parts. And so I think it's critical that you add the right people and you design it in a way that, you design it in a way to make the best creative version of the movie or show that you possibly can, and then let what come what may happens after that. I generally think that if you design it the way you want, People will buy it and people will try to make it.
0: Once you pitch the show or film and it gets greenlit, what are the next steps for you as you move into, I imagine, financing and production? What's your role then? And what's the role of the writer?
1: Well, that question, weirdly, is a little bit tricky because I don't think you're, you know, if it's greenlit, as you said, then I don't think you're looking for financing anymore, right? You've already got the financing at that point. And so let's use a streamer as an example. And I would say, you sell your movie to Netflix, and you're sort of in that development stage, then the next step with that writer is to probably, most likely, it's addressing notes that the financier has on your script. Let's say you don't have a director or any elements at that point. So you're doing a few rounds of notes, trying to get that to the place that that you, as the producer, or if I'm the manager in that case, I'm still trying to be as involved as humanly possible, but you're still trying to get the script to the stage where the financier in that equation feels it's ready that it can attract the right director and or actor. So you do a few rounds of notes that way, then becomes a process of reaching out to internal clients or agencies or other management companies along with the financier to get your director or your actor. And then when you, let's say you get your director, you're probably going to do some more notes on it with the director because they usually want to put their fingerprint on it or their stamp on it. And hopefully you really hope that that's not sort of a page one, that it's really just kind of fine tuning something. You put your actors into it. And then I think that's generally speaking when the green light comes. And then once you do that, then it's everything you would think, right? It's hiring your line producer, budgeting the film, putting all the other pieces, and you usually know what dates you're aiming for at that point, filling out the rest of the cast, all the normal things that would go along with it.
0: And what about being on set? How often are you on set versus not being on set? What's your role?
1: Yeah, good question. I think I've done both. And, you know, it's a good question for someone who's a manager and a producer, I think, because depending upon, you know, if it's a television show you're talking about a long series of different episodes. And if you're off in Budapest or Prague, you know it may be trickier to be able to do both jobs, I think. So I would say I tend to be more involved in the development, more involved in the securing of financing and getting something greenlit and packaging than doing the onset producing. Although I will say I've done it before and I would like to do it again it's really, really fun. It's, I think, when you you feel a little bit more ownership over the process, when you can be there for that. And that process is different for everybody who's involved as a producer. For me, it's been a lot of keeping the trains running, but also problem solving. You know, if something goes wrong, how do you help put out that fire? And because I'm a representative, I may have... Particular connections to other representatives when something's going wrong with the actors or something like that. Or I may have particular connections to studio executives or things like that. That has so far tended to be a lot of my role on set producing, but people have different, you know, very different skill sets. And I've gotten the chance to work with a number of, you know, amazing producers. Steve, obviously, Golan, Scott Stevens, and you know, Nick Pizzolato on True Detective, the executive producer, creator, showrunner, everything. And Michael Sugar, who was a manager with us, now non-amazing producer that we did Earth together. Everybody has different roles and different strengths. And I think you see that a lot on set.
0: And then what about post-production? You mentioned that earlier. Are you kind of in the editing bay, so to speak, with the editors and making sure that it's what you wanted it to be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My answer will probably be similar to some of my other answers on this interview, but it really depends on the project. There are some projects where that wasn't my role, but there have been a number of movies where I was in every edit or cut with the editors and you name it there through the whole way. And sometimes that's you know, that's really can actually be I, I've found some of the most fun because you're oftentimes are helping to find the movie or even a new version of the movie in the edit. Other times I think that I will be an extra set of eyes once maybe the creatives have done a couple cuts on something and got it to a place where they that they like it or maybe there's a difference of opinion as to which cut and helping to be an arbiter there or even to find the middle ground till we get the right thing. But yeah, We're super involved in post-production as much as humanly possible. And, you know, then you will, you know, all the way through testing of the movies and or screenings where you're, you're trying to figure out how the audience is responding to the movie. I've been a part of movies, you know, all over the map. I've been fortunate that most of them have tested really, really high and that informs, I think... How people feel about it, the release schedule. We're involved in trying to make sure we have the right release. We're involved in trying to make sure that the marketing materials are exactly what they should be, looking at different cuts of trailers from trailer companies and making sure that we all feel like that's the right one. So, as much as possible, every step of the way, but all under the caveat that I take different roles on different projects depending upon how they originated or what my role is on that specific project and then how many other producers there are, for example.
0: Bart, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? I just have a couple.
1: Sure. I'll try. I don't know how ready I am, but yeah.
0: First one, if you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant would you choose and why?
1: Wow. I would take, I would take, Nick Pizzolatto to this, there's an incredible barbecue restaurant in Austin because he just moved there. And I wish I was freely moving these days and able to be in Austin, eating good food and catching up with him, is what I would say.
0: Love that. The next bonus question, if you could have produced any film or TV show ever made, what film or TV show would you have liked to be involved with?
1: That's a great question too. I am going to take two. I don't know if you're allowed to take two or not, but I'm going to take two. I would have loved to make Stand By Me. I love that movie for a lot of reasons. And the one that I really went crazy for and just keep coming back to because I think it's, I don't know why, I just think it's such an incredible movie and not for the reasons most people would think, but Bottle Rocket. I would have loved to have made that movie. I think it launched a lot of careers, but also created a form of comedy I hadn't really seen before and made life brighter a little bit. My next question is the path,
0: the traditional path of a writer slash director who creates a short and then tries to get that short, takes it to Sundance, that kind of thing. Is the path of that still relevant in
1: 2020? That's a great question. I would say that that goes in ebbs and flows too. Am I seeing that many short films cross over into directorial careers, not as many at this second, but there was a wave not long ago when people were going from very short films to huge movies, sometimes to good effect and sometimes to really negative you know, results, I would say. I think a great short film is an incredible calling card. Many times when we have writers who want to direct their first movie, sometimes they make a short film first, and that can be a really, really good way of giving confidence to actors because you're going to have to... The way a writer gets his first movie made is by the talent that he can attract to that movie, who, who obviously are the ones who bring financing. So I would say, simple answer, that's always a great thing. Bottle Rocket was probably an incredible anomaly in that that short film was excellent. And I think sort of becomes the sort of opening of the feature film. I think I want to say that went to James L. Brooks and started a whole interesting story of how it came together. I think the way I see people breaking in now is oftentimes through spec scripts. I mean, talent, literary talent, people are dying for it. So there's an incredible marketplace right now for Playwrights who are becoming television writers. There are writer's assistants who are learning the trade, you know, and then being hired on shows. There are, I watched many, many assistants that were sort of my peers that were assistants at agencies or management companies right at night and go on to have incredible careers by virtue of the material that they were creating and getting in the right doors. And then finally, I would say, what else is working right now is, you know, look at people who are personalities and multi hyphenets and doing what, they, doing what they want to do and getting noticed for that, even if it's not a traditional screenplay. I think of, I don't know all the history behind them, but Broad City or, or some of these online things that have turned into major players, you don't need anybody's permission anymore to make something. I was making a show, unfortunately, she also passed recently but lynn shelton was a director that one of my colleagues worked with and she was going to direct a tv show that i was working on and she's was amazing and and really one of those few people that you meet that is just lights up any room that you're in and she was fond of saying that you just don't need anybody's permission anymore she made a couple of mumblecore movies you know up north and they started a career for her and then she went on to do all sorts of more less indie things as well. And I always think back to like her words that she kept saying, which is just like, make it. And so I see people making things. And I think that's what you got to do is think about, it sounds cliched, but we all have access to so much more than we did before, whether that's You know, screenwriting software or iPhones or the ability to make a podcast, you name it, I would just say make stuff.
0: That brings me to my last question, which is if you had one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to the writers who are listening, would you say what you just said or is there something else that you would like to pass along?
1: I think the best advice that I have is one that you've heard before, which is everybody's trying to do the same thing. And I hate to say like be yourself, but be different as much as you can. You know, I don't know that you need to force it, but I, maybe not everyone is like this. I'd rather read something that the formatting is not perfect. Whatever that is, doesn't have to be perfect, but that really takes advantage of the form and does something that feels like it is Different than things before, not following so much the pattern. I think again, this is—I could be getting my history wrong—but I want to say many, you know, years ago, Zach Helm, who I don't really know, took out a script called *Stranger Than Fiction*, which became, I think, the Will Ferrell movie. And when that script went out, I don't remember like it was forming, but I think he sent along a CD with the musical cues. And again, I could be butchering this. I could be thinking of a different different script, but it was different and it was, you know, exciting. And I think got a lot of attention and I'm not saying necessarily forget about gimmicks, but the thing that my biggest piece of advice is try to be different.
0: Love that. My very last question and the most important question of all, normally if we didn't have quarantine right now, my producing partner would be here and I would say, hand me the envelope. He would hand me the envelope. And I would say, drum roll, please. And then we'd make up a drum roll. That being said, that question is always, did you have fun today on the podcast talking shop with us?
1: I had a blast, actually. (laughs) And they were great questions, honestly. Thanks, man.
0: Well, thank you again, Bard, for your insights and your time. It was an honor.
1: Appreciate it. And thank you for such great questions.
0: Thank you again. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at WriterEXP. EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.